Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast, hosted by three friends who were brought together by their heroin-addicted partners. We became each other's biggest support through some of life's toughest times. We're not licensed professionals, and nothing in this conversation is professional advice. But we hope our stories offer a glimpse into how these issues weave into our everyday lives. You're not alone. We can all get through it together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast. Today, we are here with two dear friends of mine, uh, Randy and Darlene. I worked with Randy for many years in the hospitality industry. He is an amazing executive chef and um, just really fortunate for your friendship. So I'm excited that you're here, excited to share your story because I don't know a lot about it. Really? Yeah. Um, and you were one of the first people, even before my family, that I told you that Steve yeah. um, was a heroin addict and you were so sweet about it. And um, so thank you. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you guys for coming today. Excited yeah, to hear your story. You so, um, so we'll kind of just get started to know you guys and then we'll kind of get into your story. Uh, so how long have you guys been together? It'll be 30 years this year that we've been married. Awesome. And how long have you been in recovery? It will be 20 years and June 17th. Woohoo! Wow. That's amazing. Such yeah. a long time. <laughs> and <laughs> you guys have any children? Yes, we have uh, a son who's going to be 26 this year and a daughter who's going to be 28. Oh, wow. Cool. And a grandson that we adore, <laughs> he'll be uh, three in oh, April. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. All right. So, Darlene, so when did you realize, did you ever realize that Randy was an alcoholic? Um, well, I think at one point, I think we probably both were in our younger heydays. You know, mm-hmm. like I definitely, I mean, I had it in my family too. So there were nights I would start drinking and I wouldn't stop. I wouldn't. St- and I remember distinctly when Randy and I first started going out and he would say I'm gonna go now and I would be like what you know like we're still partying and he would be like no I have to go now and late, you know in the later years I realized it's because he knew he was getting to that line that he would not stop mm-hmm. I think I mean I could be wrong but he would go and I would stay in the bars and drink with my friends all night till closing mm-hmm. and so um, I think that I mean I guess I didn't realize he had a real problem until we moved to Ohio because we drank together in Albany when we saw each other at like parties and stuff we would go and and in Ohio we had friends that like all the kids would play and so I was making friends and we were drinking but there were times he would disappear like he would go out to get more beer Mm -hmm. and like an hour would go by and I would be like where the hell is he you know and um Anyway, so it was it was at the end of we were in Ohio for two years and it was towards the end. I started finding finding iced tea bottles hidden in places and I would open them and smell them and it was booze. Mm. And so one day I found and I found them I think twice and he was like, Well, I just wanted to bring it in the house. I didn't want the kids to see it or whatever and I'm like, Well, you're hiding it from me too, so right. you know. And then um there was an iced tea bottle that was within the kids' reach. And at that point, I think my kids were like three and five. And so they very easily could have opened it and drank it or whatever. So mm-hmm. in Ohio at that point, I was I knew he had a problem. And, um, and I was like, I'm leaving. And I had the kids packed. He made it home from work, which was probably a 40-minute drive. He made it home in 20 minutes. Begged <laughs> us not to leave. You know, like, yeah. don't go. The kids are all confused. They don't know what's going on. And so we went for a walk that night in the quarry where we lived near, you know, in 
Cuyahoga Falls. And we got back that night, and Randy was going to come upstairs and go to bed with us. And I was like, I can't. I can't have you in this room. Just mm -hmm. go somewhere else. I'm mad all over again mm -hmm. that I found it. And that night, I heard him get up and down, up and down. And the next day, he called me from work, and he said, I think I'm having a heart attack. And oh, so I wow. said, well, good for you. You know, like, do you think you should go to the hospital? Right. He said, well, I'm going to go at the end of my shift. And I was like, I'm done. <laughs> done. You know. So it turned out he actually had a heart attack. Oh, wow. So, oh and here we've been in Ohio not very long. So I really only had the neighbor across the street and maybe like, you know, like Morgan started a preschool. So I only, I didn't know anybody. So at that point, you know, he said he would stop. And then... I didn't worry about it for a while till we moved to Indianapolis, and then it started again, and then never stopped. Yeah. Was the heart attack related to alcohol, like, or do you, you know, I, I really was workaholic back then, Got and it. and I was in a situation at this hotel where it was under complete renovation. So it was nothing for me to work eighty-five hours a week. Oh, okay, oh I see. Yeah. And it was tons of stress. Got it. So I attribute the heart attack mostly to that. But when I went into recovery and talked to Dr. Kelly, who I praise to this day from mm -hmm. Fairbanks, mm -hmm. he saved my life mm -hmm. as far as the physical part of it. Yeah. But the alcohol had something to do with yeah. it because it numbed me enough to keep working like crazy, crazy hours. And the sad thing is that I want to throw in there that how horrible addiction is in my mind is when I left the hospital, I drove myself to the hospital, mm. went in and said, I think I need some heavy duty antacids or something. Because, <laughs> I, you know, I got wrong. this, this yeah. heartburn that's awful. And they're like, oh, we'll check you out. And they put me on all kinds of, you know, patches and stuff. And they're like, you've had a massive heart attack, buddy. You're not, and you know, wow. Anyway, when I, checked out of the hospital i drove myself home and i drank quarter of a bottle of vodka on the yeah. way home oh i get that i'm like no what <laughs> what am i doing right yeah. Ma, i almost died it is an illogical disease yeah that it's, is for it's sure. crazy yeah my so. husband's done similar things yeah. yeah it's just hard to get out of those grips for sure uh, yeah. i just asked because i know that alcohol withdrawal can be I mean, really severe oh, yeah. and hard. So I didn't know if it was from that or... Um, yeah. yeah. But okay. So, I mean, there was no definite... They, you know, they didn't say, if you don't quit drinking alcohol, you're going to have another heart attack right. or whatever. But, yeah. So. so how long had you been drinking? Like, at what age did you start? You know, the sad <laughs> thing is, when I was real young, when I was a teenager, young, probably 13, 14, 15, 16... I refused to drink because I saw my uncles die from drinking and my parents okay. were always, you know, they'd have card parties and it was nothing more than an excuse to get shit-faced. Mm -hmm. So I, I was like, I'm never drinking, I'm never drinking. And then when I had 16 and we moved, I had some friends that that's all you did back then and, mm -hmm. and the drinking age was 18. And So when I was 16, I started you know, drinking uh, all the uh, on weekends and stuff, and then, Christ, I remember as a senior in high school, we'd skip school, drive into town, buy pictures of seven and seven for five bucks, <laughs> yeah, and then go back to school to catch a bus home. So, oh wow! But that you know that wasn't. I I don't consider 
See, I personally consider when I became an alcoholic where I couldn't go a day without alcohol. Yeah. Because, you know, back then you'd party on weekends, maybe once a, during the week you'd sneak out. But that that didn't happen until when we moved to Albany and uh, I was an exec sous chef in a hotel. And, you know, hotels are just... The hospitality industry is just loaded with, right. you know, you work your ass off and then you get out of work and what's there to do? Everything else is closed and you go to the bar. And, mm -hmm. But I was never a big bar drinker, you know. I always, because I was too cheap, I didn't make enough money, so I, mm -hmm. it's a hell of a lot easier to buy a $8.88 plastic jug of vodka in it, mm -hmm. you yeah. know. I think that shows the difference, too, though, between, like, um kind of like a quote-unquote normal drinker and an alcoholic is that yeah. you couldn't just go and get one one $8 beer and hang out and socialize because yeah. the point for you was to get drunk and yeah. not that, that social. But, yeah, yeah I, my husband says similar things. Like, he doesn't do anything socially. It's it's just something he yeah. needs to do by himself. Yeah. yeah. So it's that very isolated yeah. using. So I think that's a interesting point that... That was big, especially, you know, in my industry a lot of people will be like you want to go out for a drink after work and i would always have to drink my fair share in the car mm -hmm. hidden away from anybody and then go meet them for a drink because i was always afraid that they'd see me drinking faster than them and say do you have a problem mm -hmm. so i'd always so hiding that catch the big buzz go in mm -hmm. have one two beers and then go home and they'd mm -hmm. think oh he's a lightweight you know mm -hmm. he doesn't oh just to hide that because yeah. it was such a so interesting how you do like how the mind works with that like yeah that's just, crazy well and then i would say to him i would you know he'd come home from work and i would hug him or whatever and i'd say you've been drinking and he would say no i haven't mm. and i would say um yeah you have and he would say no dog you're crazy yeah. and i yeah. had one of you guys oh. say that last yeah. time like mm -hmm. no you're crazy mm -hmm. yeah. yeah like i was the crazy one for smelling yeah. booze like, yeah i grew up with an alcoholic so right. i i knew but right. By then, we had moved to Indianapolis, and I was trying to get the kids settled in school. I hated being here. I didn't want to move. Mm -hmm. So I was just focused on the kids and on packing and, and just trying to get acclimated to Indiana. And, and I mean, somewhere I guess I think I knew, but he would tell me I was crazy. Right. Right. And at that point, for me at least, it's just like, okay, well, I'm surviving on my own. Like, I, I'm going to trust you even though I know it's not true <laughs> because right. I, have, I have to choose to keep moving forward. And yeah. that's kind of how that's worked out in my relationship well, in the past. I think, for me, it's like when you are with this person that you love and you care about, like, you want to just believe them. Like, yeah. your first right. instinct yeah. is to believe them. And so even when you have those feelings or thoughts in your mind where it's like, this feels off. If they come up with any sort of like excuse where you're like, oh, okay, I could see yeah. how that works. Then it in a way makes you feel a little bit better because you don't want to believe that the person right. you yeah. love is like lying to you. Right. right. Um, but yeah, there is all of that. Yeah. Am I crazy? Like, yeah. So um, and when he, it got to the point where he would come home from work and he would be like, well, I just have to take a quick nap before I, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So he would go nap and then it would get 
dinner time, after dinner, I'd feed the kids, they'd have school the next day, and I would, I, it got to the point where I would, didn't want to send the kids upstairs to wake him up, because it came back like my father, like, mm. you didn't know what you would find, oh. and so I d- stopped letting them go upstairs to wake him up, so I would go upstairs to wake him up, he would get up, spend a little time with the kids, and then he'd go back to bed, mm-hmm. and so here it was like 8 o'clock at night, and I would be, or maybe 9 o'clock, and I would be sitting down to watch a TV show or a movie, and he would be sleeping, and I'd be like, yeah like he came home and took a two-hour nap and now he's in bed it's eight o'clock at night right. and so I'm sitting here by myself yeah and so I think it just like then obviously it started you know and I could tell I could tell but it was and we still like you know trying not to I don't know. We just, I don't know how long we would have gone on like that. Yeah. Well, so during, the, oh, go ahead. Sorry. During all the times where she was telling you, like, I think there's a problem or you need to stop drinking, did you recognize that you had a problem or, and you just weren't at a place where you wanted to stop or you really thought, well, this isn't a problem? No, I knew yeah, I had a problem. Because he was sneaky and mm-hmm. I can't do sneaky. I don't do sneaky. Like, yeah. it's the hardest part, I think, in a relationship. Yeah. yeah. But. Well, and when I was a kid, my father would get paid every other Friday or whatever, and Saturday mornings, so I was probably 10, 11 years old, every Saturday morning we played this game, my mother would say, okay, go, all you kids, there were seven of us, go find your father's bottle of booze, mm-hmm. because he would buy a bottle of booze on the way home from Friday, you know, his payday, oh, wow. and so we would be in the basement, look, we would be looking, like it was like a freaking Easter egg hunt. Oh, oh my wow. gosh. Every Saturday morning, somebody would find the booze, and my father was still passed out, and my mother would dump it down the drain, so he would think he drank it all, and sure as shit, he'd go right back to the liquor store on Saturday wow. afternoon. And get another one. Yeah. So when I look back, I think, you know, like, I just knew I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to have booze in my house. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to, you know, be married to an alcoholic. And Mm -hmm. bam, that's what I got. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's funny. My dad was a functioning alcoholic, like, when I was young. But I realized when I got with my husband that my dad was very, I don't know what it was, but it was like, it was very hot and cold. You know, it was like. He was really in a good mood or he was in a really bad mood. And um, I noticed, though, that when I first got with my husband and he wasn't in, like, active recovery, he did the same exact things that my father did. It felt exactly the same, where it was, like, emotionally distant and then really connected. It was just, it reminded me exactly of growing up with my father, who was also not really in recovery. And we don't know to expect anything different. Right. Because that's what we grew up. This must be normal. This is the dynamic that I'm used to. And then, like, going through recovery, it's like, oh, this is what a healthy marriage looks like. And it's like that you have to relearn that whole thing but I had a similar thing where yeah, yeah I basically like, married my dad yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's what I feel like yeah. I did and, yeah. then, and when he stopped and was like an awesome dad I mean to this day I'm like I never knew I could want mm-hmm. him to be the dad he's just amazing mm-hmm. I mean you know and my dad in the long run sobered up right after I moved out of the house because you know why not wait till all the kids are gone and okay. sober? Sure. ruin all of our lives <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those important years when he should have been there he wasn't but right. um I mean, Randy's just, he's amazing. That's like, awesome. As a father, you know. That's awesome. A lot of making up to do, you know. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So how old, so, okay, so how did you get clean? Yeah, what was your breaking point? Well, my, Darlene brought something up on the way over here that I had forgotten about, but, so I took a lot of pride in, and sort of, not pride really, that's stupid to say, but, but I always... I never drank at work. 
to even to the point where we'd have, you know, uh, all staff meeting and they say, all managers, five o'clock, we're going to have an icebreaker in the bar. Everybody's invited. And I, and I refused to even have a drink there because I was always like, work is the one place that is, that I'm really good at and that I manage my team, that there's no, you know, no abuse can happen. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, I'd put salt in the wine so that they wouldn't drink the wine at work and <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> so I, that was the one thing that I said, I, man, I'm probably not an alcoholic because I don't need to drink at work. And mm-hmm. but, uh, but every, I mean, I literally lived a mile and a half from work. And my drug of choice was alcohol, uh, was vodka mm-hmm. because it's clear liquor. Nobody can smell that on you. Now, now yeah. to this day, I can smell it. I have the most keen sense of mm-hmm. smell. Yeah. Anyway, so I would never drink at work, before work, never was intoxicated at work. But from the drive, mile drive home, I'd be, you know, so it was just... I guess waking up every day hungover for a solid 15 years. No, the real reason was because I looked at my two kids and, and I was like, either one, I'm going to really take to this to the point where Darlene leaves me mm-hmm. and I'll never see these two precious kids. And I was sick of hurting my wife. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really killed me to... Because it is a sneaky, sneaky, and I was just sick of lying all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, constantly lying. I lied so much that I didn't realize how much I was lying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And literally, my wife means meant the world to me back then, and I just hated seeing her. Mm-hmm. I hated making her feel like a fool. Yeah. You know, because it yeah, wasn't so fair. Because I tell people stories and. And I'm like, my wife really not, you know, my whole recovery where I went to, I, I went out to the rabbit cage and took the last bottle of vodka that I had and drank it, drove to work, walked into my food and beverage director's office and said, listen, I need to take a week off. He's like, when? And I'm like, uh, starting right now. And he's like, <laughs> why? And I said, well, because I'm going to walk across, I'm going to go out to the parking lot in the back of the hotel and walk over to Fairbanks and I'm going to check myself in. He's like, what are you talking about? You don't have a drinking problem. I'm like, yes, I do. I'll see you in a week. (laughs) So I left my car in the parking lot, walked across the field, and went into Fairbanks and said, you need to help me. Wow. And then I called my poor wife. and I didn't know what Fairbanks was. Oh, wow. I I had no idea, so I called up Fairbanks and asked to talk to Randy and, and... I don't, during the conversation, then I realized where he was, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of notice would have been nice. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And how old were your children? Um, probably... We were here two grade, years. So Spen- grade, yeah. yeah, Spencer was... I don't know. I, don't, we, I took him to Fairbanks for Father's Day, and Spencer had no idea. We thought, you know, I told the kids he was in the hospital. Morgan knew the second we walked in there, it was not a regular hospital. And mm-hmm. she was she was probably in third grade. We well, said they're... 28 and 26 now. Yeah, yeah right. So, so Morgan oh, was 28. 28. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, really. 
I'm here for the math. Six. Yeah. So Spence just was, he was all oblivious because he was like, oh, look at all this free drinks, free hot chocolate, free, you know, we're in this cafeteria area. And he thought it was just, you know, a free for all. And Morgan knew we got out of the house, out of there. And she says, that's not a real hospital, is it, mom? And I said, no, it's not. You know, I said, um. You know, your dad. They called it the, the drinking hospital. The drinking the hospital. Drinking oh, hospital. yeah. So they called it the drinking hospital. Yeah. How, yeah. What was, so before then, how did you talk to the kids about what was going on? Or, like, was there I was just making any excuses, discussion? Okay. you know, mm. trying to get them acclimated, trying to, you know, go into their school. I was at their school all the time. I was there enough that the principal asked me if I wanted a job the next year and so I took the job because I was there all the time because I had no friends you know yeah. like in Ohio I had friends here I didn't have any friends so um and when it and they said it at Fairbanks that the earlier the kids are introduced to sobriety the less chance they will of having a problem of their own well mm-hmm. you know 50 50 chance so Morgan doesn't drink and Spencer does mm-hmm. so she took it to heart she got caught drinking her high in high school he caught her because she smelled like booze at you know two in the afternoon, oh, coming wow. home from a sleepover. You have that keen sense of yeah. smell. Yeah, because he said that to me. He said, "Go smell her," because yeah. I just let her go. You know, she's like, oh, "I'm going to go take a nap," probably in the tenth grade. And Randy said, "She smells like booze. Go back up there." And he was right. Yeah. And I think she was she was scared straight. Yeah. I think that definitely scared her straight because he just, but um, Spencer, he wasn't ever going to drink either. And then he got to college, and yeah, you know, all hell broke loose for him. But yeah, we talked to them about it, you know, mm-hmm. and and so we thought we had yeah, all of our bases very covered. With them about it because you know, but in Fairbanks, I tell you what, I never knew, I never knew anybody or knew anything about heroin or meth yeah. and mm-hmm. crack cocaine and and it was a whole new yeah, world. But when I was th- right. the, the right. seven <laughs> days that I spent in Fairbanks, I was like a leech i grabbed onto anybody and everybody because i I, this was my one chance i mean i spent hours on my knees in that little chapel in fairbanks Mm -hmm. begging god to help me Mm -hmm. yeah because i was like man i i tell you what for 15 years i worked our one hotel in albany was right next to a liquor store and if i didn't get my gallon of vodka on saturday night knowing that the liquor store was closed on sunday i'd be a mess wow because i i couldn't go a whole sunday i'd have get the shakes and just craziness mm-hmm. so uh i don't know where so you only spent seven days in, in yeah treatment. seven because back then it was like that's all it was covered by yeah well still now that yeah, yeah that's true Jake too. was Originally, they took him in and said he would be an inpatient for 14 days. And then on day five or six, they were like, oh, insurance is making us kick him out Which after day a, eight. They're yeah. like, we don't have enough um, criteria to keep him because he doesn't have, like, tri- childhood trauma or something. I'm like, is him ODing and things? That's <laughs> right. not enough like, yeah, criteria? It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and they said, they said, when I went for the meeting at Fairbanks, I was so angry because I had, you know, my mother said, pack the kids, bring them home. My sister said, I'll be there. We'll drive back to New York. And I was ready to leave. And my father got on the phone with me. And here he'd been, he'd been recovered for, I don't know, 
probably 20 years himself, and he said, oh. you stay there and you let him fix this. He's trying to fix it now. I'm going to get emotional. Aww. You know, because my father was the one that was like his big supporter. Oh, and that's I thought, crazy. You know, here's one boozer talking about another boozer. Mm-hmm. So that was the well, only I guess reason. if anyone's going to understand it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we went at the meeting. <laughs> the guy says, you know, do you, something about, uh, maybe I asked when is he coming home, and they said, Oh, we think by your demeanor he might be safer here. <laughs> because I was so, I was just I so bet. angry. I bet. Because I, oh, I was so angry. And what so. were your feelings? Like your, so this had been happening, right? So you can had been living it, and then for me, when my husband goes into treatment, it's like, um, I get, I, I, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's a relief. It's like this sense of like, okay, there's hope that he's on the right path. So um, can you explain kind of why you were angry that he was like at that point when he was getting treatment and kind of on the path to recovery? Because yeah, well, I, I think he didn't tell me. He didn't share uh, it with me. That he just this, did it on his own. Yeah, he didn't yeah. share that that was his plan. Like, yeah. so I was left holding the bag with two kids, no friends, again, right. you know. Yeah. And, you know um, what I think a lot of it is too, and I might be totally wrong, but I think it. she got to that point where God damn it, I've been right all this time, and he's been fucking saying, you're crazy, you're crazy, I don't have a problem. And the whole realization that, that, fuck, I knew it. Right. And I, you know, that's what broke my heart. I was like, man, I can't stand seeing her like this. Sure. Yeah. That's what Steve says, that that just the lying and just hurting me just really just hurts him. Oh, bad. That's, you know. Yeah. I tell you, that is one of the strongest things that keeps me sober is I'll, I'll never, ever do that to another human being. Mm-hmm. But for the grace of God, I won't ever do that, you know, yeah. because I, I'm still very humble about it. I'm an actively recovering alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and uh, I'm yeah, never going to, I won't ever take it for granted because I'm surrounded by booze all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. So you did 90 and 90. 90 and 90. Strict. Which that's the 90 meetings and 90, 90 days. 90 meetings and 90 yeah. days. Yeah. I got a sponsor right out of uh, uh, Fairbanks. And and I'll tell you a quick story. that. So when I checked out of Fairbanks, I asked my one of my counselors. They said, listen, you need to do me a favor. And he's like, sure, what do you need? And I said, you need to go out to my car. And he's like, yeah, why? What's going on? And I said, I probably have 50 empty vodka bottles in the back seat of my car that I would conveniently cover up with a blanket. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. And I said, you need to help me because yeah, you wouldn't let me I'm, I'm already figuring into my head that 10 of those bottles, I could pour probably a half a cup of vodka oh, out yeah. of each one. And oh. so he did. He went out to the car. We drove over to the dumpster and cleaned up. So oh, that's wow. just how scary my situation was and knock on wood yeah you know i i ever never uh no relapses never not once no, they told him at fairbanks that there's a what only a 10 percent that's crazy 10 percent recovery first time out yeah. And yeah he said to the guy the guy said to randy you're not going to make it and thank God I'll he never said forget that. the guy's thank name, God he Carlos, said that and he still is at Fairbanks. Oh, really? Oh, you ever show up? Hey, Carlos. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. joke. And and we sat in one of the classes, one of the meetings, and and uh, we're going around the room. And every meeting, I had, I was chatty, Kathy, asking questions and questions. And, 
And uh, Carlos said, how many of you here think you're going to do it? You're going to stay sober. And I raised my hand. He's like, I'll tell you what, you're not going to do it because you're too cocky. All you do is act like you want to know all this stuff, but you're going to relapse. I'll guarantee you're going to relapse. Wow. I'm like, good, challenge taken. And literally, I've thought back on that moment a million times. Wow. And I'm like, no way, Carlos. You're not going to (laughs) win. This bet is on for the rest of my life. And if he had, I mean, I definitely would have left with with no. I would have left and not looked back. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because I was not going to. You know, I grew up with an alcoholic. I wasn't going to subject my kids to that. I wasn't going to live with an alcoholic. Like, I lived with one the first, you know, 18 years of my life. I wasn't going to do it again. And it hurt like somebody had died. I remember, like, it, mm-hmm. knowing, like, with, and, and I think it was in Ohio, and I thought, if he does this again, I mean, I'll have to leave him, and it, you know, it would be like, it would be like a death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. I wasn't going to stay. Yeah. Absolutely That's how I feel, not. too. So you said you didn't yeah. have anybody here in um, Indiana, so who did you talk to? Oh, I mean, no, this yeah, is a I huge to, thing. had to lie to my little Girl Scout leader, the Girl Scout leader, Christy, a friend of mine, who I got to be friends with, but Morgan was in Girl Scouts, and she was really the only friend I had kind of made at that point that, you know, we were starting a friendship. And I still lied to her, though. I was like, oh, do you mind if, you know, the kids come over for a little bit? Randy's in the hospital for some, you know, I made some lie up, so she had the kids, and so I couldn't tell her. Aww. You know, I just, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody, so that was what, you, you know. You went to one Al-Anon class. Oh, right? yeah, and it, it we, so we went to one in Noblesville, I think. And there's a group of women sitting around, and they're telling their stories. I knew I wasn't going to say anything because I was still so angry, mm-hmm. and I just went for his benefit. And But these women, some of them were like, I don't have a partner who's an alcoholic right now, but I really need this meeting. And I thought, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Get out of here. You're wasting <laughs> my time. Like, and I thought, oh, I can't do this. I can't sit around with a bunch of women, mm-hmm. you know babbling about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, just, I was so angry I didn't really want to hear anybody else's story, and mm-hmm. I just... I guess, I don't know, I just... So how'd you get through? I mean, yeah, how, what was your coping mechanism? Uh, I don't know. I think it was the kids, and mm-hmm. I think it was, I don't know, actively trying to get active in, this, like, the school system and make right. new friends and try to, you know, just... Build your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I couldn't... And then we went to a meeting, not to jump way ahead, but on his 4,000th day sober. Was it 4,000? Oh. Yeah. I don't know how many years. One day he just calls up. He's like, hey, it's been 4,000 days. Let's wow. go. To, I want to go to a meeting tonight. Wow. So the kids were still in high, they were in high school at that point, yeah. early high school. And so we went to the meeting, and the kids are like, you know, like they're doing it for their dad, but they could give two shits. You know, yeah. Morgan's looking around to see what everybody's wearing. Spencer's, you know, <laughs> I don't know, playing with something. And right before the meeting started, they marched a bunch of kids in. And Morgan Fair Banks, the yeah. whole universe. It was oh, when they started. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was right when they started the yeah. that, that Hope group. Academy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I saw Morgan sit up straighter, like, because she recognizes some of them. And Spencer was like, what are these kids doing here? Wow. And I said, you know, they've ruined it for themselves. Like, it's done. Like, they're never going to be able to enjoy a social cocktail or a social, yeah. you know, because they've ruined it, you mm-hmm. know. So, um, but the guy that spoke, this is where I was getting, had been sober 25 years and had relapsed. Mm-hmm. And so that made me feel like, oh, God, we're never going to be out of the woods. Right. I know, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. That's a real feeling as a spouse. Is a, you just don't know if it's going to happen again or yeah. when. Or There's not. 
it's not something that's ever cured. There's yeah. not right. a just a fix. So. Like you're always waiting for the other shoe. Just right. Yes. You know. A little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'll say this is something that my dad had said, and my dad is not very active <laughs> in this. Um, and he just kind of said that uh, Steve, it's like Steve is holding a grenade, and he's just waiting. He has his finger on the pin to pull it and chuck the grenade at any time to explode your family. And I that for some reason, that analogy has always Ugh. stayed with me. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, at any moment, he could just... It, it could be whatever. Yeah. And so I told Steve that, and he was like, wow, you know. And so he came back a couple days later, and he said, you know, going to meetings and talking with my recovery friends, like, that's how I keep the pin pushed in. Yeah. Like, that is my medicine. That is how I stay clean. And so I, I, that analogy has just always stuck with me. But it, yeah. it is an explosive. If he would use it, again, oh, yeah. it yeah. would be an explosive thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's – I, I think – it's hard too because I I always look at my relationship and I like compare it to like a normal relationship, right? And it's <laughs> <laughs> so far from that. But um, I think that there's any relationship dynamic has that though. Like anyone could do anything at any time. You could have an affair. You could have a car accident. You could have a serious medical like thing. Sure. So I think that to live in that fear is very hard. Like you just kind of have to. It's like the addict has to surrender. You kind of have yeah, to, like, let go. let go. You can't control it. And all you can do is, like, live your life every day. And then if it happens, then you deal with it. But just like any other problem that you yeah, have, it helps me to normalize that a little bit. That, you know, it's a pro It's like any other problem. Um, it has its good times and it's bad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. That That's how I kind of cope with that. Like, I, don't, I can't. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't move on with you my know, life. Yeah. You're not you relaxed. Know? You can't. Re like, I couldn't relax probably the first two years. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask when he never. came home, like, well, what do you remember of those, Ugh. like, early days and how did, how, what was the relationship dynamic like between the two of you? It took a, lot, it took a long time to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember the kids went to bed after the first night and I covered my face and I was crying and I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you kept trying to pull my hands away from my face and I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. With, was your relationship, I mean, for for me, when my husband is in that active use, that was really only like six months. So he's had relapses, but they've been like one day and, and kind of that kind of thing. Um, but our relationship was so different. You know, there was the lying, there was the suspicion and like we weren't close and talking. And so after he went to recovery, I felt like, we had to relearn how to be together. And also he's he's learning how to deal with life anyways. Like he's relearning life skills. And so what was you, like what was your path for kind of going from that kind of dysfunctional relationship to one where now you're in recovery and how are you how does your relationship changing and you're adapting to this healthier life? I think that he got to me through the kids. I mm. think that when he got clean, he started, um, you know, he got his priorities straight. So mm -hmm. he would make a bigger effort to get home in time. And like there was, when we first moved to Indianapolis, Spencer would walk right by Randy mm -hmm. and he would say, mom, can you tie my shoe? And I would be like, your dad's right there. <laughs> like he was so used to not seeing him around. Mm -hmm. So I think, I feel like that's what his, you know, his method was to get to me through the kids. Like he mm -hmm. had to prove himself yeah. and he did. It, mm -hmm. it was, it was amazing. I mean, it, it took a long time, but yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, it's the actions. I mean, you can yeah. say whatever you want and, but you know, just showing up and being consistent in what you're doing 
like that helps as time goes on yeah. to mm-hmm. and like when the like kids feel were little, more secure in it. Yeah, they were when they were little. I would say when we were in New York, I would say he'd go to the grocery store and I'd say, "Pick a kid, either kid, take a kid with you to the grocery store. Give me five minutes to myself or whatever." Mm-hmm. And um, after that, I never had to say that. Like I never had to say, "Can you take a kid with you? Mm-hmm. Can you give me a break and take both of them?" Because then he would see I was reaching a point where he'd be like, "Come on, kids, let's walk over to the park." And you know, sometimes I'd watch him out of the window and think, you know how much I hated him. Yeah. I was so grateful that, you know, like, yeah. like he was listening to me, like, I need you to get away from me right now. And yeah. yeah. And he would do it. That's awesome. So you were talking about your job in the hospitality industry, lots of alcohol around and um, al- alcoholics or people in active use or people in recovery. You went back to that job how did you deal with that? How do you continue to deal with that environment? Well, the doctors at Fairbanks said, you might want to think about changing your occupation. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm like, man, I went to culinary school. I, this is all I've done my whole life. I'm like, I can't change it. I have a passion for what I do. And so literally, I tell you, you know, it, it sounds weird to say, but probably <coughs> the... One of the beneficial things for me is because I'm an early person. Like today, I I go in real, real early. Mm-hmm. I do all the breakfasts at the hotel, and so I'm the first one in after a Saturday night. And you know, the bar, the last things, of course, and and when you do a function, is all the liquor bottles and all the beer mm-hmm. bottles go in the trash can and go out, mm-hmm. and. All I have to do is walk out in that room and smell that stench, mm-hmm. and it turns my stomach to the point where, man, I used to put that inside of my body. Wow. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's, yeah, I, I'm very fortunate. You know, it, this wasn't all done by me or my love for my wife. It was, I put a lot of trust in God. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big religious person. I don't go to church every Sunday. and mm-hmm. But I literally believe in the 12-step higher power mm-hmm. yeah. where I, as much as I can, remember when I go to bed, I thank God for keeping me sober today and ask him to keep me sober tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And whenever I have... The temptation, I I think of the old animal house with the devil on the one shoulder and the <laughs> angel. And I, you know, I say, come on, angel, talk me out of this, you know. And it do- doesn't take anything more than that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I tell you, the spiritual part of God helping me through this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Whether it's real, whether it's not, it works for me and... and you know, I I don't, plus, you know, I have a food and beverage director that I love dearly that we do a lot of, uh, go to, like, I'm going in two weeks to Vegas and we're in Vegas for a conference all week and every social function, there's tons of booze oh, yeah. and wine and this and that. But, you know, I just, I just separate myself from that mm-hmm. because literally I know in my heart of hearts what I have to lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, my kids are grown. My wife is is been by me the whole way. But do I want to fuck that up right. by a stupid thing of? So it just keeps me sober. I mean, I, I constantly gut check myself on that, and 
do the people you work with know that you're sober? Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm very open you're with it. You know, anybody that, anybody that brings, I, I don't go out and preach it a lot. Sometimes I do when I need to. Mm-hmm. But uh, everybody knows. And, you know, I still to this day, you know, when I first started there, a lot of hotels, you know, they're like, why don't you give your guys a few beers at the end of the night? And I'm like, absolutely not. You know, I, my dishwashers work. 12-hour days for me, but mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's I draw the line on not in the workplace. and, mm-hmm. and uh, got to protect yourself. Yeah, you know, I, I, I just don't. And I got a lot of flack at first because they're like, oh, we always used to bring a six-pack over and let them finish up the last hour of their shift. And I'm like, not on my watch, you yeah. know. It just... So I will say something. Um we used to do tastings together. Yeah. Uh, we had that big fancy Jamaican wedding. I don't All know right. if you remember. Yeah. And he was a great. There was a great family. And you made oxtail soup. Yeah. And um, you tried to get me to eat some. And but the <laughs> but the guy was like, "Hey, Randy, like, you know, you prepared this menu for me. Can you tell me like what wine would go great with um." this oxtail soup or whatever and you're like oh you know i'm an alcoholic recovery 16 years and i remember thinking you know this is before i knew anything about steve and i was like oh my don't tell him that like you're this alcohol like i i i know you as a person and you're great but i had such this stigma like these fancy people are gonna think that you're a crappy chef because you're an alcoholic and and you're but but you you played it off well and you're like oh the food and beverage director he's great at that so you know we'll pair your wines but you were just very open with them it was very it wasn't shameful it wasn't anything but i personally remember thinking like god don't tell these <laughs> fancy people um interesting how that's come yeah, full circle now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. now yeah yeah totally yeah but i think alcohol is a little bit different too than like um, the stigma associated with harder drugs yeah. because like you said you grew up with your like my, my family my dad was an alcoholic and like you grew up around it and it's very social and you see commercials for it and it's what you do it's you go to the bar and you have like it's very socially acceptable to be in, like to to consume alcohol not necessarily to be an alcoholic right but I think that it, when people hear that, like, if, if I wouldn't have thought that, because I'm like, oh, yeah, everyone knows people that drink alcohol or, like, you know, so yeah. it's just funny. That I think were... the challenge with that, though, then could be because it's so um, accepted in our culture and everyone does it that, you know, there's the times when you tell people, oh, we don't drink. Then they're like, oh, come on. It's not really oh, that big yeah, of a deal. Yeah. Or if you tell someone I have a problem, they're like, but do you really, yeah. like... I think we it's all the harder. drink at night. Well, that's the one thing that I t- another thing that I took away from Fairbanks. They said, you know, because I'm surrounded by heroin users and all, all these drugs that I was like, oh my god, I don't, you really, you, I didn't know what it was about and yeah. didn't realize the severity that it. You know, I talked to one guy and I'm like, is it true that when they say that you can get hooked on heroin after one use? And he's like. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So but they but they told us if they told our group at Fairbanks that said the one thing with alcoholism is if you're a heroin addict and you leave here after ten days of recovery, you gotta go find your dealer or go in the hood to find some heroin off the street or mm-hmm. you gotta search for somebody because it's illegal. Mm-hmm. If you're an alcoholic I get, he said, I bet you you pass 10 places that you can pull right over, mm-hmm. walk right in, 
and buy it and be drunk in 10 minutes. Yeah. So I always kept that in the back of my mind that I, I'm going to face a lot of temptation mm-hmm. on this whole recovering thing. So Yeah. Definitely think that's the harder one to to kind of get over, like to completely eliminate the triggers. Yeah. 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 The illegal drugs You're is a little bit, you have to pursue it, like you said, yeah. but yeah. So what about for you, Darlene? He's going back to being a chef, hospitality, you know, booze, you know, there's bars, like were there triggers for you? Like, um, you know, I don't, I think when he got sober, I mean, it was no fun to drink with a girlfriend. Like, you know, I could drink with a girlfriend. Like one night, we were over at um, Jennifer's house, and we were drinking gin and tonics, like the stinkiest booze ever. <laughs> and and I, he got in bed, and he said, Dora, I'm so sorry. I can't, I can't sleep in here. He's like, you smell. And I felt, after that, I was like, you know what? I don't really need to drink. I don't really, mm-hmm. and now that I'm old, like, I tried to drink in Las Vegas with my girlfriend's last October, and, and I was, it was awful. Like, I felt awful. That, like, mm-hmm. later on, I was sure. day drinking. Day drinking used to be so much fun. Yeah. You know? And, <laughs> yeah. and I, I love to say, like, I'll tell Randy, yeah, he ruined, you know, he ruined the whole booze thing for me. Yeah. Because yeah. I just don't, I don't want to drink around him. Yeah. Because it's yeah. no, you know, but, and people are always so concerned when they come over. They're like, you know, is it okay? <sighs> like, I had to, like, beg my nephew to bring beer with him because I said, we're not going to provide it, but yeah. you're more than welcome to drink. Sure. Right, you know? right. But then that started backfiring on us with Spencer. Spencer, oh. you know, we were letting him drink in the house, mm-hmm. and it started off as beer, like, mm-hmm. just like even with my father. It was Genesee beer, and then it was, mm-hmm. you know, it progressed to Manhattans or I can't remember. It just And then it was straight vodka, mm-hmm. and I've seen Spencer do that. He went from, like, beer to vodka like that. Wow. And then, um, and like, one summer, the kid, him and his two friends opened our pool. They were shit-faced. They just trashed the whole thing. Wow. And, like, it was funny for, like, two seconds, and I was like, we've got a problem here. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was pretty inappropriate this summer. Like, he, he, I could tell he caught a buzz. Mm-hmm. Spencer was like, oh, I'm a fun drug. No, you're not. You're obnoxious, <laughs> and you're a douchebag. Right. And he got inappropriate. Like, he just was saying inappropriate things to my little neighbor girls who, mm-hmm. and now they're not little. But just yeah. they're like the same age. But I was like, you were out of line. And he was like, I was. What did I say? And after that, yeah, we so said, that's it. No more booze so. in the house. Like he was trying to, Randy was trying to make sure everybody was comfortable. And he right. would, but I, it backfired on us. So now there's no booze in my house. So yeah. how does, can you, if you are willing to talk about the dynamic with your son now. So, you know, I'm expecting, and my husband and I talk a lot about, how are we going to approach addiction? Um, From the first for, day yeah, that like they how do can you, understand. Yeah, how, do, how are we going you to know. frame addiction in our household and that kind of thing? Like, Can you talk to us a little bit about like raising your kids and explaining this to them and then now with potentially having someone that has a problem? Like, yeah, where see, are you guys? I thought maybe I thought not having a liquor cabinet in my house would be the way to go because growing up, all of my friends, their families had liquor cabinets that we used to steal booze out of. Mm-hmm. You know, in high school, we would water down their lit. We'd take booze, water it down, right? And you know, water their booze down so they wouldn't notice whatever. <laughs> sure. But you know, and I was raised in a, a college town, so that's our goal was to drink every weekend. Right. So when my kids made it through high school without having any problems, I was like, see, I guess this isn't like a rite of passage. You don't Mm -hmm. have to get through this, Mm -hmm. you know, get through high school being, you know, learning how to drink. And again, that backfired on us with Spencer. So Mm -hmm. he's on this journey that he's going to have to self-discover. But when I walked into his bedroom one day, he wasn't working on a Monday. And I came home and I said to Randy, well, where's Spence? And he's like, well, he's been up in his room all day. 
Well, the little shit was upstairs in his room drinking all day, and oh, I walked no. in, and he had a bottle of vodka, and I just had this flashback to my father with uh, the vodka, Randy it. with the vodka, oh, wow. and I lost it, and I said, get out of my house, get out, get yeah. out, get We were letting him live there because he was traveling with the military. Mm-hmm. He was gone like five months out of the year last year, so why get an apartment? Right. Right. But it, I just said, get out. I can't. I can't watch. I don't want to. And still, to this day, like he was over the, at the house, and he was like, "Now for my birthday this year, I'd like to have a pool party with my friends." And and mm-hmm. I said, "Well, no booze." Mm-hmm. And he said, "You're kidding, right?" And I said, "No, I'm not. Like, mm-hmm. I'm done." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's when you don't want to jeopardize your recovery, and you know, I, I, yeah. I mean, ultimately, you would think that your freaking son would have enough respect for you knowing what you went through to Mm -hmm. that's what it just breaks my heart because you know for the longest time i was like no you know he's not gonna i'd defend him and say you know the the kids they all go through that phase and Mm -hmm. this and that but they don't have to i guess that's what i yeah i think it speaks to um, how strong of a genetic component there is and like how oh, much yeah. of oh, it is not based on even behaviors and what you're doing. Like Jake grew up in a household. His parents did not drink at all, not because they had a problem. It, theirs was more religious based. So yeah. there was no alcohol around at all. No one in his family did, but he, he has a grandmother who was an alcoholic or some somewhere in his family. So there is a line yeah. and he managed to seek things out and find it. And mm-hmm. um, it's hu- it's a hundred percent genetic. And as mm-hmm. much as you can, you know, try and prepare people. And I think give, tell them all of the like um, triggers yeah. or the dangers. Yeah, I think that's why I'm so angry with Spencer is that he knew. Yeah, we 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 didn't hold anything back from our kids, either one of them. Mm -hmm. And like Morgan will tell you, I don't know if has Morgan ever, because my big thing was when I came to the realization and decided to go for help, I was like, God, I just hope my kids don't remember me being. Mm-hmm. so fucked up and they don't they don't and so and i don't even think morgan does but uh yeah so but Spe- i don't know spencer took all of it with a grain of salt obviously and but added that's some tequila what I, to it mm-hmm. i don't know just you know something totally that i always genetic. um try to hold on to some in our family support group that we go to there is a couple who the man has 34 years clean and the woman 32 or vice versa. Um, and they have grandson, a grandson who is in active addiction. But cause that is something where it's like scary. You're like, oh gosh, like are we going to have kids now? And then they have the, like, we're going to be dealing with this in a different capacity, um, which is very scary. But something that he said was, you know, all I can hope is that by them seeing what I'm doing in my recovery, even if they start to go down that path, that they will know that, that there are help. options yeah. for them. They will know where to reach out and where to go yeah. because we've been open. And that always has given me a little bit of comfort of like, mm-hmm. okay, that's true. Like they can see that it's possible and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, hopefully and know yeah. to reach out. And well, they have I think that he's there, sure too that, you know, if Randy stopped that I think he thinks he can stop too but I said you're going to find that you're not going to be able to stop by yourself and yeah, I'm not I've told him I I'm said I'm not trying to be negative you may be I able just, to stop, just cross the line it's no fun mm-hmm. getting on your hands and knees and 
begging somebody you don't not 100 percent sure that there's <laughs> yeah. is there to put all your faith and trust in you know it's no fun yeah. well it's work yeah it's a lot yeah, of work it's a lot of yeah yeah so we hope this journey just won't last very long yeah. but who knows you can't you can't you do your best that you can and try mm -hmm. to instill every ounce of your wisdom into these kids but you know they have they go on their own journey and mm -hmm. like you say that's a good point i never thought of that 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 at least he can see that yeah that because i didn't know there's another option i'm like rehab what the hell is mm -hmm. but i'm like yeah it's serious shit they we couldn't even have mouthwash and yeah and, yeah for sure and i was like really mouthwash and not that i was upset about that but i was like damn man you guys are serious here. <laughs> yeah thank yeah. god they let us smoke the one <laughs> addiction that i unfortunately haven't you got to my husband went to rehab and, and picked up smoking so that's i think yeah, that's a standard the price of admission <laughs> <but> <laughs> yeah, <really>. yeah. <laughs> well, we used to sneak and get caffeine sodas from the and fairbanks <laughs> <laughs> we used to, because they, you couldn't even have caffeine, so which was odd because you could drink all the coffee. They probably only gave us decaf coffee, but, <laughs> but that was a weird thing because yeah. I made a really good friend in rehab who, God bless him, I tell you, he was a very successful lawyer, uh -huh. had a practice for 15 years, and uh, became addicted to opiates because he had back pain, and, mm -hmm. and he was big time addicted to opiates and lost his had a wife and two kids, successful law business, lost his bar, took his license away, lost his family, mm -hmm. came to work at, for me at the hotel I was at as a houseman. Wow. Oh. Because he was back living with his mom. and uh, it was So, I yeah, d addiction has no, uh, does no not it prejudice does not. against anybody. No, that's nope. for sure. So you guys are... You're almost at 20 years now. Where where would you say you are today? Like, is it something that you, Darlene, are you, do you think about it often? Like, oh, this, like, is something going to happen or? No, no, I guess I don't anymore. Yeah. I don't, good. but I'm still never, you know, we were talking about that too on the way here that, you know, you never really know anybody. You can be married for 50 years and, and if something's going to happen, I mean, it's, you just never know what anybody's capable of, mm -hmm. you know. So, I mean, I just am putting my faith in him and and God that he's, you know, I think he's going to stay stay sober. I'm too stubborn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't uh, let Carlos you know, win see, that, that one. See, that sounds cocky, though. I don't, I literally do not want to sound cocky because I th I'm very thankful that I have been able to go this long and mm -hmm. I'm very humble about it. And if, you know, the one thing... I don't even know if it, the one thing with 12, the 12 steps and the 90 meetings in 90 days. And I, I just pray that somebody can hear a little bit about what I'm saying today. And it helps them because the one thing I sort of regret is I, with 12 steps in AA, they preach to you that you have to give back. Mm -hmm. And I stopped going to meetings just because I was like, I did my 90 meetings in my 90 days. I don't suggest it mm -hmm. because I've never been that route. It might have been a little bit easier for me to continue to keep going to meetings. So I don't I don't want to encourage somebody to take my path, do the 90 meetings in 90 days, and then go to your next one 4,000 days later. Right. But to me, 
I'm just saying I, I probably need to. And when I free up more time, because they still work like crazy. I mean, yeah, I so I don't have a lot of free time and whatever free time. I love hanging out with my wife, mm-hmm. we, you know, especially now that, well, we have a grandson that keeps us busy That's every fine. once in a while. Yeah. But so, yeah, I'm just saying it. That's the one thing that I may regret that I never really, I never sponsored anybody, which I was was like, I'm going to sponsor people. And, right. But that takes a lot of work, too, you know. Yeah. You got to have a lot of time. And yeah. So, and I think what you girls are doing is tremendous because I know that you're helping people. And well, I commend you, you for well, that thanks. because thank you. especially for, for, you guys aren't even addict addicts. <laughs> seriously god bless you every second of what you're doing because you're helping people and 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 you you were put in that position which wasn't fair to any of you it wasn't fair to you but i love your husband and (laughs) and they're always so lovable aren't they (laughs) the ones the bad ones they're so lovable yeah so you guys have come through 20 years you've stayed together like I, I'm glad that you guys came on because there is hope. There's a lot of, you know, blogs and podcasts like, fuck these addicts, they fucked you over, but you've kind of come through this. Mm-hmm. I don't know, any advice or... I think you guys have it so much harder, though. I really feel like heroin is just so much harder than alcohol. But it's still the it's relationship scary. part yeah. and the trust and, yeah. you know, we, building we, that we, relationship. We, we, we became best friends. I mm-hmm. mean, there's nobody in this world that I'd rather hang out with than this girl right here that's sweet oh. seriously i mean crazy we don't do shit we don't <laughs> we i mean yeah we we don't vacation a lot and we don't yeah but literally i mean life together yeah it's just well, nice yeah yeah that's important yeah, too we're really really lucky yeah i think that's awesome cool. so how do how and we're kind of wrapping this up but darling how did how do you like take care of yourself is i mean that's something that we always yeah. ask oh right because we guys talk about are, that a lot oh, I right mean, especially if you're sucked right into the throes of it right now i yeah. don't know i mean you have to i don't i think it was the kids i mean the kids were so like they were just at that right age where they they needed me all the time right you know, they were six and eight and so um but then for myself i think I finally, like, I went back to school. I mm-hmm. went back to school. I went to college, and mm-hmm. Randy was so supportive of it. And um, so I think that's what I did for me was just try to find something for me, something yeah. that was mine. And it was, I don't know, it was just that to get an, a college degree and, yeah. you know, and make sure the kids were, you know, on the right path. And Randy, all he requires from me is clean laundry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the easiest person in the world. Oh, that's hilarious. So... That's awesome. Nope, I just, I think, you know, it's just hard, though. It was really, yeah. it was hard. And yeah. I didn't, um, I didn't think I would get upset again. Well, but, yeah. Well, we appreciate we you sharing. <laughs> yeah, thank you so thank much. Thank you a lot. It's it's really nice to hear. It, it's hopeful. It, it gives me hope, you know. Um, my husband's on a good path. And even, I mean, the drug is scarier because one relapse could equal death. And, and that's yeah. the thing that's just yeah. so scary um but i think that you know the components are there the desire i hear things that you say that he says and it's like it it makes me feel hopeful and to see your all's relationship kind of thrive and it's it's really i just appreciate hearing your story so thank you thank you thanks for sharing with us 
All right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening. If you have any stories um, or you want to send any notes to Darlene and Randy, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So keep coming back. Thanks for tuning in to Boy Problems Podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this episode. Find us on social media, and if you have questions or ideas for topics, email us at hello at boyproblemspod.com.